0: So when you work on programs and platforms like world class, the the kind of Olympics of any cocktail competition in the world, and you are mentoring and coaching and working with bartenders and and getting out the the best of their creativity and you're supporting them and ensuring they've got the knowledge and the equipment to be able to deliver it. It's absolutely tantalizing. It's a fabulous, fabulous industry to be in.
1: Welcome to the Lush Life Podcast. I'm your drinking companion, Susan Schwartz, and I bring you the how-to guide for living life one cocktail at a time. Thanks to my mother's love of martinis, the first words I spoke were shaken, not stirred, and I've been obsessed by cocktails ever since. Together, we'll learn from bartenders, brand ambassadors, distillers, and others why certain drinks are popular in certain cultures. How to make the perfect old-fashioned. When to shake and when to stir. And so much more. Hear that sound? It's time to cozy up to the bar and let the fun begin. La Chichera Rum is one of those brands I have fallen head over heels in love with. Maybe it was its history, recounted so beautifully by owner Miguel Riascos, right here on Lush Life in April of this year. Maybe it was my own wonderful experience in Colombia and tasting La Chichera in situ. Or maybe it was because of today's guest, Stephanie Jordan. But before we meet her, I have some really exciting news. Lush Life Podcast and a lushlifemanual.com have been nominated for a 2018 Savor Magazine Blog Award in the Best Drinks Blog category. I thank all of you who nominated me. The voting ends tomorrow, so if you haven't done so already, please head to a lushlifemanual.com or Savor.com and vote as many times as you can. Now back to our guest today, Stephanie Jordan, whom I met when she was brand ambassador of La Shashera Rum earlier this year. Even then, I could tell hers was a story that needed to be told.
0: Um, it's probably not the simplest of stories. Um, I don't know if you've heard the term TCK, which is a third culture kid. Um, it's the definition of someone that is raised in a country different to that of both their parents So my father is is from Colombia, from Bogotá. My my mother's British from Cambridgeshire, but I was raised in France, in Burgundy. So you become a third culture child as you are none of any of them, yet a combination of them all. So um, officially, I would would classify myself as a Franco-Anglo-Colombian or just simply a global citizen.
1: All right, this may have changed throughout the years, but where did you feel when you were young, that kind of your heart or home was, or that
0: you were? I didn't think it was ever with a country. I think I quickly understood that home was where the heart was at. So whatever part of the world I end up being surrounded by, my mum, my dad, and my little sister, I'm at home. And so that you didn't feel be...
1: particularly French or Colombian or English?
0: I think it came out depending on the conversations. If I was talking to a bunch of French and they were saying how awful food in England was, I would probably, you know, stand up and talk about... I don't know, like a roast dinner or something, but it could happen the other way. You know, I could have English people talking about Colombia and then talking about the stereotypes of Colombia and I would stand up and wear my Colombian cap. It uh, It would shift to and through.
1: Where did your parents meet? They met in Paris in the early 80s. Oh, that's very romantic. Yeah, it is. Right, so even they had the, those three cultures.
0: Yeah, then. they did. I mean, wow. my mum moved out to Colombia with my father in the early 80s, um, which I'm sure most people have probably seen Narcos on Netflix by now. But this was at the height of the violence with Pablo Escobar. The bombs were going off in Bogotá. She ended up working in the Emerald Trade. Um, and she stayed out there for four years, married my father so she could have the paperwork to stay which is a rare story. Um, but after all, I think um, she made the call to, to move to London and then me and my sister came along a few years later. So why Burgundy? Why Burgundy? Um, my mum and dad have always been in the wine trade. So since they moved back from Bogotá, they set up in London. My dad was running um, some wine stores called uh, Peter Dominic's at the time. And my mother joined um, what would have been Diageo. It was IDV, UDV. Um, so she was um, heading up one of the biggest uh, wine brands of the time, which was called Piedor. Um, the slogan was, Les Français adore le Piedor. Does yeah. it
1: still exist? Mm,
0: it does, it does. The volumes have dropped considerably, but it was the it was the number one selling wine in the off-trade in the UK. Kind um, of the wine
1: that introduced wine yeah, to the it, Brits. It was
0: literally the wine that introduced wine to the Brits. This is at the time of Blue Nun. I don't know if you would have ever of seen course. those bottles. It was that that era. And um they decided that the marketing people should be based in the production locations so we all relocated to the Beaujolais and I was uh, four and a half.
1: So did you grow up you know st- stomping grapes and cutting grapes? Well, sadly and- I think if
0: anyone if anyone pretends to still stomp grapes um, you know they're completely romanticizing the wine Which production process <laughs> but ultimately yeah it was um, my dad then retrained and got his um, degree in, in vinification and winemaking Um, My mum stayed in the trade, and fast forward, I think that would have been 25 years ago. My parents are still in Burgundy. Um, Wine is at the heart of everything that we do. Um, It's how we earn our bread, and it's also how we spend (laughs) all our bread. Um, But yeah, no, I definitely started earning my first pennies picking grapes during harvest season.
1: And so I guess that was your first introduction to, I'm using this in quotations, hospitality.
0: Yeah, the, yeah, and it's you know, it. I think world. I think it's a big. Um, I understand the the quotes. Hospitality and an actual production of spirits or wine that they're, they're very different things. And I think the one thing I've found over my years working in spirits is that at the heart of wine is agriculture. So wine is very much about the terroir. It's about the people, but it's also about Mother Nature. Because may it hail or rain or may the sun shine from one year to another, your crop. Um, can't be guaranteed. You're Mm -hmm. very vintage, dependable. Whereas in spirits, because you tend to have some sort of neutral base, whether it be grain or or you're working with potato, you can consistently use previous year's stock Mm -hmm. to make your produce. And I feel that when you're in spirits, uh, actually maybe hospitality takes on a greater form um, because you've not got an end product. So you need someone to take that bottle of vodka and do something with it. Whereas with wine ultimately a sommelier can recommend a wine he'll open the bottle but th- that's kind of where it ends the magic happens before so
1: when you were thinking of a career were you thinking wine was it just an automatic oh I'm going to go into spirits
0: it was wine it so was wine. I think again being raised in an environment where people are passionate about booze generally but also um, my mum's a, a highly accomplished marketeer and there was very much a, a, a business orientation that was sort of um uh, she, my mum kind of she was very much my line manager coach manager life manager she she orientated me towards the path of, of business and, and marketing generally um but I am um, I fell passionately in love with the Beaujolais as a region um the Beaujolais Nouveau was an mm-hmm. amazing marketing stunt Um, But it it considerably damaged the image um, as it being a qualitative wine region. Mm -hmm. And so um, my big dream was to save the Beaujolais. Um, And uh, one of the reasons why I went into advertising and then later on business was because the recommendation was if I really wanted to save the Beaujolais, I needed to understand global marketing and global branding. Um, And at the end of the day, the spirits world do it much better than the wine world. So if you want to learn how to build a global brand... You'll definitely get that experience. So um, this is
1: all as a young woman. Yeah, this you is sort of knew, twenty, twenty-one, already. twenty-two.
0: Hmm? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So you there was no messing around with other things like literature, or science, or you were.
0: I don't in think there I had the choice. And I think back and there's this thing called the elder daughter complex. But ultimately <laughs> I am. Um, I was just following the path of what I was being told, and mm-hmm. this was my world and this was my universe, and it was fine. I think if I step back, I'm like, oh, I could have been an interior designer. But um, I don't think that's how it works. My little sister, we've given her all the freedom to do what she wants. But for me, I was so involved with my parents that I was doing what they were doing. And that that was fine. Um, So
1: you're you're on this path to save Beaujolais. Yeah. All right. So what diverted you from that path?
0: Diageo, (laughs) the biggest booze company in the world. Um, I actually got a job with their interprofession um i would have i was I think 22 and i would have been in charge of the main export markets which for them is japan so the japanese um still take baths with beaujolais nouveau they think it's like an aphrodisiac Um so um, i don't know if you'll see around the month of november on the news you'll see loads of eccentric japanese people bathing in in gamay grapes it's quite funny um but no, Diage came along and they have this thing called the graduate scheme. Um, so they sort of take on what they consider highly talented or uh, high potential uh, young professionals. And this was at 22? This was at 22. I finished a uh, business school in Lyon, which is um, a wonderful place, capital mm-hmm. of gastronomy uh, for Europe. Um, but they made the call to to join them. And so they'd opened the roles across. There was London, there was uh, Dublin. Um, but I went in for the interviews for the Madrid office. Um, as my dad's Colombian, I spoke speak Spanish, Spanish, and, and Spanish. Um, yeah, I felt uh-huh. that maybe that was more fun than London. Uh, Madrid Madrid is a very cool place to be, and so um, I got on their grad scheme, so that made a lot of sense. And then you just stayed with Indiagio. I stayed with them for eight years, mm-hmm. relocated to three countries...
1: Um, All right, but before that, I know that there was India somewhere in there.
0: Yeah. So my uh, when you do a French business school, it's full of internships, oh. and the the French are very pragmatic and very experience orientated as well. So um, my last my last sort of step of of um, that that degree was um, six month stint at the French Trade Commission in the embassy in New Delhi, where I was um, asked to do a survey and a study on the possibility to export. French wine to India. Are they um, French
1: wine drinkers
0: as, as a whole? I think you know, there was, there's the this belief that, you know, India is, is going to explode and, and you've got however many billions of people there and these potential medium class consumers. But at the end of the day, there isn't wine culture. Um, And and wine is a a living produce, so you need to transport it in a certain way. And I was visiting all the distributors of the time, and they'd have, you know, bottles, bottles of Côte sitting in containers um, down at the port in Bombay, in Mumbai. Uh, It was 50 degrees, and and all the bottle corks were popping. And Mm -hmm. so you would pay very high taxes and a a very expensive margin on on a product which was gone. So um, I don't know that it ever has taken off. Um, I, I think the French wanted it to be like China, but um, but it was very interesting to to be there and actually discover some Indian wine producers as well. Mm-hmm.
1: That's what I was going to ask next. If there. are yeah, know, there's there's three
0: or four houses. I think Sula's is probably the biggest one. They're planting international varietals. So you've got your French, your your Sauvignons and your Chardonnays and your Cabernets um but again it's um it's culture and it's and it's knowledge you know and um people making making wine the majority now have hundreds of years of expertise so they have to export uh all the knowledge and they have to bring all these mm-hmm. people in so it's it's not cost efficient
1: mm-hmm. maybe in a few years
0: yeah well climate change has yeah. uh, brought about the uk wine trade mm-hmm. um you know just this year the the uk wine body was created so it's very interesting to see what's happening with them. Um, with all the wine regions i think old world new world is no longer relevant there's a lot of new world mm-hmm.
1: but back to you and diageo so you were on you got into this diageo graduate yep. scheme mm-hmm. so what was your what was some of the first things that you were doing there
0: oh gosh as so a 22 year old you you can't choose your role right okay. um so my first role it mm-hmm. was it was it was pretty random it's something that they call category management uh, also known as ease of shop but basically it's range reviews so um Spain is a massively complex and diverse market when it comes to traditional produce. They have pacharran, they have anise, they have a bunch of you know locally made um, drinks which um, take up a vast majority of the market. They then have local whiskey, local mm. gins, and then they have the international categories. So the first job was to review hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of individual SKUs, which were different brands and bottles, and advise Carrefour, Al Metro, the big supermarket chains, um, to which stocks they should keep and which were not delivering them any results or any volume. And obviously you'd come in as, as Diageo, so you were trying to push. The big one in Spain was j b Justerini and Brooks's Brooks' um, mm-hmm. blended whiskey. Right. Um, so yeah, I played Tetris, basically, because you had these planograms and you had to place bottles on shelves. So this is a
1: lot of data. So, so it, much data. Yeah.
0: And I think I learned about every single different type of booze that exists under the sun
1: it's crazy we think that they would already know all of this well Um, they they, i guess there's as you said so many
0: yeah that um well and also you have to think that the people that are that are the purchase managers in these supermarket chains etc they they aren't necessarily specialists in liquor uh um it's it's a very different environment in which they work so you have to come in as, a, as an expert and that's what the big companies do they they don't just sell you their brands yes Diageo sells whiskey and and yes it sells mm-hmm. gin and yes it sells rum but it sells expertise so it, it, it will go to a, a partner or a client a, a distributor or a supermarket and say stock my product plus I will help you sell it better mm-hmm. you know and that's the added value that's expected mm mm-hmm. So then then
1: where were you gonna go after that? Did you, were you able to choose what you wanted? No, then, the then how I How long got, did it take before you could choose what you wanted? <laughs> it took four years. Oh,
0: all right. The second year- you always year, had
1: this idea, okay, Beaujolais, Beaujolais. So for me- or did you just get rid of that idea and no, say, you know what? Um,
0: the passion remained liquid.
1: Liquid, okay. Liquid,
0: liquid, liquid, production, heritage, um, culture, people. And uh, so the second role, it was a sales role, which, you know, honestly, not much fun. But you have to learn the basics. If you do not understand that the end the end game of any company is to sell, you are in the wrong business. Right. Whether that's hospitality or in a big corporate environment. So sales roles are crucial, however painful and hard that they may be. Our industry operates in cases. Uh, they can be nine liter cases or they can be physical six bottle cases. But you need to understand what a case represents. You need to understand what the NSV is. You need to be able to have these what was it? NSV. Uh, so the net sales revenue. Okay. So you need to have all your your sales metrics, and you need to have your your business lingo in check because if you want to have a career, or even say launch your own brand one day, these are, these are the basics. Mm-hmm. You know, and and um, it's it's great and lovely and nice to to make and It's it's fabulous to make a beautiful daiquiri with it. But behind that um you it's a business wrong, model it's right? a business you won't model. have a company if you don't sell anything correct um but then uh, you know twist of fate um one of my mentors a guy called Jorge Pineda, an Argentinian man that's been in Spain for a very long time decided to take me under his wing as a local brand ambassador for Spain this wouldn't have actually been the traditional course I should have gone more into maybe a marketing brand management role but he knew he knew my passion um, for wine and, and he knew how much I wanted to get into what they were calling the reserve division. So this was the time uh, a portfolio of brands where there was Sacapa uh, run from Guatemala. We had uh, Sirop Vodka, Grand Marnier, uh, Don Julio Tequila. Um, it's and kind of
1: the cream of the crop. It is the, the cream idea. of the uh-huh. crop
0: and it's there is marketing, there is branding, there is packaging, there are campaigns, but it's liquid. It's liquid. It's brand stories. It's heritage, and it is the people behind the production
1: mm-hmm.
0: that, that drive that. And that, for me, that was that was everything. And um, you know, I, I he brought me on into this. So I was brand ambassador for Madrid, and I think the second week in the role, he phoned me and said. Cool. Do you have a valid passport? I was like, of course. He was like, great. We're going to Mexico and Guatemala, and we're going to go and visit. Um, you know, the whole production sites of, of Sacapa. We're going to cut sugarcane in the Pacific. We're going to go up into the mountains and see how it's aged. And that was that was it. I was hooked. Oh was,
1: my god! I'm I'm excited about that. <laughs> there's no way. There's
0: no way out of it. And when uh-huh. you get the chance to have a role where you're privileged enough to host uh, bartenders. Kettle One distillery in the Netherlands, and you can be taking bartenders up to Scotland and 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 checking out some of the most amazing distilleries in the world. It's that is very special.
1: So you got bitten by the bug. I and got you just wanted by the more. bug more. So how did you, how could you progress from that? I mean, did you see? All right, I'm going to do this for two years. This is what I want now. You know, forget the Beaujolais. I'm into this, and I wanted. To oh yeah. Be a brand so that's. Master.
0: I think that's when. Um, the passion shift so you know wine is still at the heart of 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 what i am and it's and it's still my first love but the spirits world is so much more creative um and you get to interact at another level as you say this is when hospitality really comes to play Mm -hmm. so when you work on programs and platforms like world class the, the kind of olympics of any cocktail competition in the world and you are uh mentoring and coaching and working with bartenders and and getting out the the best of their creativity and you're supporting them and ensuring they've got the knowledge and the equipment to be able to deliver it it's it's absolutely tantalizing it's a fabulous fabulous industry to be in
1: and were you able to do that before you worked with Tangeray
0: Yeah, so the the two years in Spain. Spain. Yeah, so we launched world-class for for the Spanish business. We actually have one of the global winners, which was a guy called David Rios. And uh, we got a lot of visibility from that. I think when a a market produces a global champion, um, internally the business will look to you and try and see what it is that you've been doing so well to, I want to say, kind of breed such a good crop of bartenders. And, uh, you know, Diageo Reserve, world-class, definitely, uh, improved and helped grow the hospitality industry in Spain. Um, and then if you're part of that
1: question for me though, so what do you think was going on in Spain that created?
0: Well, um, Spain, first of all, interesting enough, it's one of the few markets, which is, um, brand orientated so a consumer and you know this is the birth of the rebirth of gin is from spain and it is from a a simple serve which was the copa de balon which was this big balloon glass with lots of ice and a garnish but it was more than that if you go into a pub in the uk and say can i have a gin and tonic please you would get given a gin whichever gin they have uh, on pour and you'd get a spray gun and they'd fill you with some sort of weird Smelling chloriney tonic water. Um, in Spain, can I un gin tonic, por favor? First of all, what gin do you want? Any, any bartender, any waiter would ask you what gin do you want. So you have to brankle. So you need to be able to say, oh well, um, a Tanqueray, oh well, um, a, a Hendrix, oh well, I have a so like, You needed to know your gins. Mm-hmm. And then the second question would be, and what tonic? And this is also the birth of Fever Tree, you know. So. Um, that for Spain, I think, was a true unique thing that they had in that it then became a very interesting market for brands to go and invest because you had brand recognition. Um, and the Spanish bartenders um, were very good at doing the basics. You know, a simple gin and tonic in Spain was a whole entire art form, and that made a big difference. Mm-hmm.
1: Thank goodness for us here. Yeah, in yeah, UK yeah. Now. Absolutely. Uh-huh. Absolutely. So, um, when did you decide to move on from Spain?
0: So, with that big win from David, um, I was called by um, a wonderful woman at the time, Alison Forrester, who was in the business. And she said, um, Right, you speak French. I said, I, I do. Brilliant. You are going to go to the Indian Ocean um, and set up um, and help set up this reserve luxury unit. Down for Seychelles and Mauritius and Réunion Island. It's hard to say no to that. Wow. Well, I'm 26. (laughs) I don't know where that is on the map. Google it. Still can't find it on the map. Zoom in. Still not there. Madagascar's there. I'm like, okay. Zoom in, zoom in, zoom in. And all of a sudden, you have this volcanic island in the middle of the Indian Ocean. Um, Are you speaking French? Speaking French. Well, it's the European Union. So my salary was in euros. Was. Insane. Uh Um, And uh, I moved down there and met, again, some amazing people. Another strong woman who I had as a mentor and a boss, Valérie Stroul. And we took on this mission. Which island did you live on? Réunion. You did. Because she was from there. Originally, they wanted to post us on Seychelles. And I'm ever so grateful that they didn't. I mean, what a beautiful place. But, you know, paradise on earth can very quickly become hell when... There's you know a couple of thousand islanders and and more coconuts right. knocking about you know it's um, when you How come long from you
1: been in
0: two two years in Réunion Island mm-hmm. yeah and uh, I mean Mauritius is a, a capital for five-star hotels so we had a big job to um you know develop beautiful brands like johnny walker blue label and get them into the bars and get them into these one thousand dollar a night villas and uh, and we got to work in that setting which was um pretty spectacular
1: how many were in your team there
0: we were a team of three Jan, um Jan, our brand ambassador and, and valerie and myself and we had a lot of fun a lot of fun
1: That is, that is really hard to come back from <laughs>
0: Yeah. It, yeah. But I
1: guess sometimes you must feel so felt so claustrophobic.
0: Like you, island fever is a thing.
1: Yeah. And either you stay there and and make and a lot of babies get or you get a out. Lot,
0: I was say. <laughs> no. Yeah. Um the the big escape, I mean, when you're on mm-hmm. Reunion Island you're 4 hours from Cape Town, direct mm-hmm. flight. So um South Africa becomes mm-hmm. your escape. Mm-hmm. And wow. I mean, if if anyone's been to Johannesburg or Cape Town, the hospitality industry down there is exceptional, so you are spoilt. Mm,
1: Alright, so it's not so bad. Right. <laughs> it's <fine. laughs> you get to escape. It's worse things. Um, and then is that when tank came
0: And by? that's when tanker came about, yeah. So um I don't know at this point what what was going on. Gin had happened, the boom had happened. Um global ambassadors were were definitely a thing. Um and I think there was a, a There was an opportunity. My predecessor, um, Barry Wilson, had had moved on on onto other things. And um, for them, priority markets um, were Latin America. So Spain was still the birthplace, and and Spain was pivotal. But actually, the new opportunities were were in Colombia, were in Mexico, and were in Brazil.
1: How many years ago was this
0: now? Uh, Four, five, Four,
1: okay,
0: yeah. So, so it, was, um, it was important for them, one, to have a Spanish-speaking global ambassador. And I think it's interesting, my languages have actually sort of steered my career because of any given opportunity. It was like, right, you speak French, go down to the Indian Ocean. Without French, I could never have done that role. And the same was the case of Tanque without spanish i I never could have gone and it 's not quite the same when you tell the story in someone 's native language. No, I agree. Um, the message is just that much stronger and, and it 's much easier to relate and connect with people um, and I think it made sense yeah to have um to have a, a kind of a woman on the brand um Tancre is quite glamorous it's um uh the brand history is, is is very exceptional um but then again i was i was english so i could do the gin thing you know gin is gin is quintessentially english to an extent um and i think just from a profile perspective and and a even um, if you think about it, a global brand ambassador, it needs to be able to talk to trade. Um, it needs to be able to, yeah, understand drinks and mixology to a certain extent, but it also needs to be able to navigate the internal um, corporate world because you're dealing with some very senior stakeholders in, in a business that has, you know, thirty thousand odd employees. Um, so yeah I was given I was given the chance and um, and got to move to London and basically pay ridiculous amount of rent for a, a home in which I never lived and um, I was on the road probably three weeks a month a minimum um, got a gold BA card within about six months of that <laughs> and uh, and had a you know a very um, very intense but a very incredible um, two-year stint on the brand. Now you're
1: one of I think you were the first brand ambassador I've interviewed who wasn't a bartender beforehand. Mm-hmm. Um, do did you feel that you were either had had was lacking in something, or or had to catch up, or did you feel in reverse, like oh, I had this so much more because I understood the corporate world than the the bartenders who then become brand ambassadors?
0: I think it's it's. I mean, everyone has different. Um, Arrows to their bow, mm-hmm. um, and I think if you want to be the b- best professional in any role, you want to try and get as many of those arrows as possible mm-hmm. so um absolutely i had to I had to catch up, but I, I'd done that those years I was in Spain we um when we were launching world class you know this is at a time where actually we were studying and learning and training ourselves and and traveling to London at the time to visit the best bars that uh, we were bringing back knowledge to the Spanish community, so we actually grew with that knowledge um, and when you do sort of run and, and judge competitions like world class, I assure you very quickly, you come up to speed. But it is, you have to invest. So I um, read extensively mm-hmm. um, any opportunity I had um, in my own spare time to visit any sort of distillery I would. A lot of my own money would, would be pouring into bars and bar tabs and um and bartenders become your friends so at the end of the day you end up um you know making drinks with them so i mean that knowledge you can acquire it i think of some of the biggest influencers this amazing girl on instagram um beautiful booze she's a self-taught um self-taught at home bartender mm. yeah you know she's seventy thousand followers and, and she's creating some of the best sort of content out there so you can definitely be self-taught um So now I never felt like I lacked it. Um, If anything, I never felt that my role was to make drinks and I don't think a global brand ambassador's role is to make drinks. You're the guardian of a story. So in the case of Tanqueray, my knowledge was category, gin, uh, history of gin, production of gin. um, And then above and beyond that, it was the storytelling behind Tanqueray and the brand and its founder, Charles Tanqueray, 1830. And it was to take them on a journey whereby I would give them all the tools to fully understand the liquid and its history and its heritage. But as I say, booze is different to wine. Once you serve the wine, you're done. With gin, there's a next step. I mean, people aren't drinking a dram of gin anymore. You, you do need to mix it in in some way. And um, and that was where my job ended. I gave the bartender the tools. Then it was for the bartender to create, you know, it was almost like if you're a paint maker, and you gave an artist paint, and then they painted, you a paint maker doesn't need to paint. A paint maker just needs to focus on making the best quality, the highest vibrant color, the most um, resistant paint. And I think that's what the job of an ambassador is.
1: And so I'm sure, you know, working, you, you got to the highest point that you were able to at, um, at uh, Diageo. And I'm sure it can be an amazing cushion why would you want to leave that and do something new?
0: Very new, very, very um, new. Very new. Um, I think um, I came to realize that to a certain extent, I was slightly corporified. Eight years in a multinational, you, you learn a very specific work culture, a very specific work language, and actually you only know one way of doing things. Um, so I definitely felt that I needed to uh, become myself and um, I needed to do something different um do something maybe I don't know if fulfilling is the right word but something where at the end of the day you know when you are one of uh, as 30,000 um your added value is to an extent limited and actually the business will still sell three million cases with or without you um and so I definitely started feeling that um and feeling that I was potentially working for maybe Stakeholders, shareholders, actionists, but maybe not for Charles Tanqueray. Um And business decisions are made, which maybe don't quite resonate with you, and um, you realise that you just you can't control something that big. It's it's a beast, and you are a clog. And um, and I think it's nice to maybe um, be part of something at a at a, a more personable level. Um, so Colombia sort of having gone back to the uk done a bit of the french thing i I hadn't done the colombia thing and yet colombia is a big big part of my identity it's a big part of who i am and it's a big part of even my personality i'm I'm a very latin person um so when i was in bogota for for cocktail week i met with um miguel riascos who who knew that i was half colombian worked at diageo on tanqueray and through through a series of coincidences we met and um kind of just wanted to pick my brain and very quickly, brain picking became, hey, why don't, why don't you join this, this, crazy, this crazy experience and this crazy gig, which is um, to set Colombia on the map for the right reasons and talk about rum and talk about a brand which is called Sera, which means the enchantress, and is all about the biodiversity um, of Colombia as a country and uh, the feminine energy behind Mother Nature. It was, um, it was very inspiring. I felt very moved and um we had some some you know very personal conversations whereby Miguel said I you your essence what you are that that's what I want for you, you are in it she said. you you become the brand you are it you are part of it you are you, you add true value um from the word go and all of a sudden you're stepping into a startup with you know five six people spread across four countries um working with an eight tower eight hour time difference um a bit of a a bit of a cultural clash as well go from a corporate universe to a family-run Colombian company Colombian company that's a real thing Um, and and that's the journey I've been on for the past year setting Colombia on the map for the right reasons
1: what desires and loves do you feel from this project
0: I think um again when something is so personable it's much easier to understand where true value can be added so let's put the business side apart like at the end of the day we need we need to sell rum right that's 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 the core mission of what we need to do with la fair but actually i think there's a much greater implication so to be able to work on a brand whose home is is barranquilla colombia all of a sudden means that you are intricately linked to the hospitality industry in colombia um you know, one, of, one of my um, good friends is, is a, a very, very, very talented um, Colombian bartender who works in, in Paris. And I remember talking to him a lot about the hospitality industry and how, for many, it, it isn't a choice in Colombia. Okay, you don't choose to become a bartender like you may do in Europe. It is definitely not considered a prestigious career path. Um it tends to be, I want to say sort of the working class, the humbler classes that end up in, in hospitality because that is the route that is given to them. So you're working with a very, a very different kind of breed of person because actually they are so grateful, eternally and deeply grateful grateful for any education, any attention, um, and any kind of visibility that you can bring to them. So working with Colombian bartenders is massively inspiring. And I think being a Colombian brand, a big part of the work that we need to do is to support that local industry um, and help them Rise and actually get those bars recognised. So if you're thinking of 50 best bars, to date there were very few in Latin America. Um, Those that were there, for example, were were in Mexico, and there was a real reason for it. The international trade travelled to Mexico because of tequila and mezcal. So you had all the best guys from New York and the best guys from London and and Paris and Italy, and they were flying into Mexico, so they would visit the local bars, they would do local guest shifts, and there was a real exchange and share of knowledge, which allowed the Mexican bar scene to step up. Now, Colombia, traditionally, hasn't actually been producing any high-quality distillate, liquor, wine, pisco, anything, which would mean that any of this community would ever come, right? So all of a sudden, if you have a brand which is made locally for me to be able to bring out the international community to Colombia for that exchange to start to happen, you know, hopefully next year start bringing Colombian bartenders um, to some of the key cities in Europe for them to show what they're doing there and starting to have that exchange will massively change the landscape of the hospitality industry for Colombia.
1: An exciting time,
0: very exciting, Columbia. very. It's it's you know what? It's an amazing time for the country. Um, the tourism board says Colombia that the only risk is that you'll want to stay. I know you that you've been
1: there. I, I know that you've that. been there,
0: Susan. And it's it's um you know Colombians say they were blessed with paradise. It's as I say, the most biodiverse country. In the world per square kilometer. The only country more biodiverse is Brazil, and it's five times bigger. But Colombia has the Caribbean, the Pacific, the Andean Mountains, the Amazon. Um, thousands and thousands of species of flora and, and and animals and insects and the people have a real real energy right it's a fun place to be but yet they were riddled in, in civil war for more than 50 60 years um it became the capital of you know, narcolandia everyone has seen narcos on netflix and you know what's really well done but that's really tough that's your country um you know and um some of the produce that are coming out of Colombia, like coffee, flowers, banana, there's some incredible, incredible agriculture because the land is so incredibly fertile, which is also why sugarcane from the Colombian Pacific, um, it's, it's going to give you some very, very good rum. Um, so to be able to, to start telling the right reasons and for Colombia to feel that they were blessed on paradise and that they didn't have to live in a hell, I think is... Um, personally really really motivating and um i think that's brian enjoying like enjoying said her so much it
1: seems like you in your your work career you have now touched on all of those parts that made you what was it a third culture th- kid third three culture kid yeah so you had your 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 french your you know your english and now the, Colombian. the colombians come out
0: yeah and it's um it's nice to be able to express all parts of your identity. Um, it's yeah. um, it's a curious thing, but um, but I am enjoying. I am enjoying this time. Maybe
1: we'll see you in Scandinavia next.
0: Oh gosh! Well, oh. I think it all depends on on who I end up, you know, marrying and, and having a family with. You know, what culture are they going to bring to the oh, table? I no, need
1: three. I feel like only three. <laughs> a minimum of three minimum is required.
0: <laughs> no, but you know, at the end of the day, we, we 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 work in this industry. We talk about cocktails, but I think there's no. Simpler way to describe it, like you become, you become an absolute blend, mix, cocktail, concoction of, of all these cultures You're and nations. American. Gosh, yes. <laughs> Why not?
1: I love that Stephanie calls brand ambassadors the guardians of the story. It's as romantic as La Shachera Ram itself. It was great to have her on today. You can find Stephanie on Instagram at Drinking Out Loud. Let's head to our Cocktail of the Week to find out what she has planned for us to enjoy. Our Cocktail of the Week pays homage to the belief that somewhere in the New World is a place of immense wealth called El Dorado. Let's drink to that with La Chachera's Oro Fashioned. In a mixing glass, place a small cube of gold dust-covered pinella. Pinella is dehydrated sugar cane juice covered in gold. It has far more flavor than sugar and is argued to be much healthier. It is hard to find, and can also be replaced with a cube of brown sugar. Then add 3 cls of la aram, 2 drops of bitters, and 3 ice cubes and stir. After a minute or two, add another two drops of bitters, three more ice cubes, and the rest of the rum. Then continue to stir. Then serve in a classic tumbler, twist an orange zest on top, and garnish with a dehydrated orange wheel. You'll find this recipe and all the cocktails of the week on alushlifemanual.com, where you'll also find all the ingredients in our shop. Next week, we head to the English countryside with a non-alcoholic spirit that is linked to the lovely blue field flower, the barrage, and is also helping to promote the honeybee community everywhere it can. But before I leave you, don't forget to vote for Lush Life for Savoir Magazine's Best Drink Blog Award by heading to alushlifemanual.com and clicking the button. Until next time, bottoms up. Thanks for listening to the Lush Life Podcast, the sister of A Lush Life Manual. For more information and links to everything you heard, plus a bit more, please visit alushlifemanual.com. Always remember the wise words of Oscar Wilde. All things in moderation, including moderation. And always drink responsibly. Okay, I said that last part. Theme music is by Steven Shapiro and used with permission. Lush Life is produced by Evo Terra. And I'm your hostess, Susan Schwartz. I'll see you at the bar.